Vladimir and his family are here with us uh, after God answered prayers for them to get their visas um, and, um, and others, so many others. Um, it's nice to see Mr. Reichenbach with us. Uh, welcome to Redeemer Life. May we give him a hand also. And, uh, and, um, and Maria's daughter is here with us. Welcome. Welcome to uh, Redeemer Life. And um, who else? Who else? Others have come back from travels to Russia, to um, um, India, to other places. Am I missing someone? And of course, my world religions class is here with me. Um, so welcome to Redeemer Life. Um, let me see if I can log on to this thing called an iPad and get my things in order here. Um, they're used to me talking for a long, long time. And uh, last time, though, you watched a, a video on the American Jewish experience. That's an amazing presentation of, of those that came into our midst um, from different parts of the world, fleeing persecution in, uh, uh, in Europe. Uh, and that is... Uh, um, uh, an ever-present reality because Nazism is in the rise, on the rise in, in Europe, in, in Germany, in, um, in Russia, in France. It's a very sad situation, but we need to pray for that. We need to pray that, you know, this um, uh, hatred uh, is not a good thing. Um, uh, we need to pray for uh, more people like Kathy and Peter who are able to go to bring about um, um, healing, to bring about a sense of peacefulness. Uh, I remember um, um, in the uh, around 2001 when um, I, I was a part of a church in Naperville and we were reaching out to so many refugees that came from Afghanistan. And now as I see, um, and some of them, came to North Park because they were playing soccer on our North Park team because they were members from Naperville and from Wheaton who got involved in their lives and started up little soccer teams for seven-year-old, eight-year-old boys. Um, uh, and those seven-year-old, eight-year-old boys then became older, 18 years old. They went to North Park University, to Wheaton College, and to all of these places. And it's such a joy to see them. And they'll come and tell me, can we start up groups through North Park? And, uh, and they have, reaching out to newer refugees that have come from Bosnia and from, from Mexico and from El Salvador. And it's so beautiful to see little boys and little girls, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old, playing soccer and, and students reaching out to them. Um, the world has seen so much suffering for so long, isn't it? There have been good things also for us to um, think about. So, of course, in world news, because we always do a little bit of world news, there's been um, a major tournament that was held recently. I don't think the U.S. media even cared about what was going on. But in Japan, there was a... A rugby, yes. And who won it? 
It was captained by an African black guy. Think about it. Sia Colisi. Whoever knew in 1995 there was one black guy on the soccer team, on the soccer team, yes, soccer as well, the rugby team that won the World Cup in South Africa. Have you seen the movie Invictus? I would encourage you to watch it. It's a beautiful movie about um, Nelson Mandela and the Springboks, the, the South African uh, rugby team, and how it brought the whole country together. But this is now another, another year, another era, where it is now captained by a black guy. And they smashed that country called England. Sorry, are there any English people here? You know, these English people come to India, they teach us cricket and soccer, and, and they regret it because then, you know, we go around and we beat them in cricket and soccer and rugby. And so come on, England, teach us all those games, and then we'll teach you how to play those games. Um, so sorry if there's English people here. I don't know why do I say things about Western society, but I need to, right? We do need to reflect on some of those. We are reflecting on um, a patriarch by the name of Abraham. Fascinating because it kind of goes along with the theme here. Who was Abraham? Abraham was a refugee. He was a migrant. Who was Moses? Moses was a refugee. For 40 years, he lived in the wilderness. After he was 40 years old and he had to run into the wilderness, for the next 40 years, he was hiding in the wilderness. Moses was a refugee. Jesus was a refugee. When he was born, he had to flee along with his parents, Joseph and who else? Miriam. Why was she called Miriam? Because... Life was bitter for girls in society in those times where Roman soldiers will go and just grab whoever they wanted to. So, so many girls were called Miriam, Mary. This is a story that uh, and I've got students here who, who come from different faiths, from, from, from Judaism, from Islam, and, and, and Christianity, and, and so on. There, there are, these, these people are common traditions. There is reflection on Abraham, and on Moses, and on Elijah, and Elisha, and all of these people who are refugees. And so I want us to focus on a very crucial juncture in the life of Abraham, in the life of Abraham. It comes from uh, uh, Genesis chapter 22, a very critical juncture where Abraham, the patriarch, faces a crisis. And this is kind of the ultimate crisis. We've gone through different crises in the life of Abraham. We talked about the time when he had the crisis of identity, 
moving from Ur to, to, to the promised land. And, and then, of course, he has the crisis where he knows that his wife is going to be raped and then that he would be killed. That's another crisis situation. There was crises in, in, in the context of family relationships because when things are hard, then people want to pull each other down. When things are going well, then people are nice to each other. But when things are hard, then that is the time you get to know who is your real family and who is not. So that we encounter that in Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis chapter 14, uh, Abraham encounters this king whose name is Melchizedek. This king who worships the God most high. And, and Abraham says, yes, that's who I worship also. The God most high. Let's worship together. And they did. And so you, you, we encountered that in Genesis chapter 15. We, we, we kind of skipped Genesis chapter 16 and 17. And we did encounter Genesis chapter 18 where, where there are three men who come. And they, they come to Abraham while he is sitting by the oaks of Mamre. You know, one of these days I would want to take you to Israel and actually take you to these places. Where, and show you this is where Abraham encountered God. These are the oaks of of Mamre. Uh, uh, and maybe one of these days we will do that. But, but Abraham looks at these three men and he says, God, Lord, this is the name of the God who revealed himself to Moses. So who is this? Three men? Or is this God? But this is God. That's who God is. What seems like it is a man is God himself, and that God reveals himself to Abraham in a, in a classical sort of way um, about the situation in Sodom and Gomorrah. So let's fast forward now to this crucial juncture in the life of Abraham, and it's Genesis chapter 22. And in, 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 in good Jewish fashion, in a synagogue you would all arise and read this section of the Torah together. So would you do that with me? Let's all arise. Genesis chapter 22 and verses nine, nine, 1 through 19. Together, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. 
The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not anything to him. Now I know that you fear the God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. O oh Lord, we thank you for the life of Abraham and all these amazing forerunners who have gone running before us. And so, Lord, as we reflect on this life, we pray that you would speak to us today in our existential experience. In the name of Jesus, the risen Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. So let me very quickly go over some of the lessons that we can learn from Abraham's life today. Um, I think one of the things that, that I've focused on time and time again is, is this realization that those people who are committed people, we did commitment Sunday today, right? So I, I like it that, you know, uh, there is the, the whole idea of commitment. Of course, commitment has other connotations as well, so, but we won't go into that. But m being committed to one another is an important thing. It's, it's a covenant concept um, where people commit themselves to a task, to a calling. But what we realize is that commitment happens in a continuum. Those people who are committed are people who are continually committed. You know, you can't go to your to a spouse and, and say, I, I said I love you on that day and that's it. No, it's got to be a, a, a continuous thing. It's, it's gotta, it, there are things that happened in Abraham's life uh, before that. And, and it, it, it was these things that set him up a track in which he was going higher and higher and higher in his, in his attitude of commitment to God and to people around him. 
If he, if he was taking a step backwards, then he had to come back to that place where, where he was before he took the next step. And so it is in continuum, and it happened, and so it happened. It happened because things happened in his past. So it goes on to say, and it happened, and it happened. Well, what happened? We talked about things that happened in Abraham's life, and it's important to keep those in mind. It's important to reflect on some of those things. Get up early in the morning and say, what did I do on the previous day? What did I do five years before this or ten years before this? Am I going up in a continuum or have I reached this plateau and I'm not going any further? When we reach that point where we're not going any further, then we've got to take a step back and say, why am I not growing? And the next stage may be a crisis situation. We don't know because life is made up of a whole lot of crises. So the next stage here says that God tested Abraham. If you go on to read this, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, it says, And it happened after these things that God tested Abraham. And you will say, oh no, no, God, he's not ready for this yet. Don't do this thing called testing. How many of you, my students love tests, you know. <laughs> I would say, tomorrow we're going to have the midterm test. They're all, yay, they're so excited. Right, Nicole? <laughs> <laughs> They're all really excited. Noah's excited about tests. What, what, are tests important? Well, life is made up of tests. Sometimes these tests come from God. Other times it comes from those people who want to put us down. Hopefully, when I think about tests, I want the best out of you. I want you to get to the next stage in your learning experience, right? That is a good thing about tests. But maybe there are those people who want to test others so that you put you down. That's not a good kind of test. That's the kind of thing that, that the devil did to Jesus in, in Jerusalem. You remember that? Where the devil takes Jesus to this place and he says, Ah, if you're really God, do this. Ah, if you're really God, do this. Ah, if you're really God, come on, prove yourself, man. Prove yourself. You're really God, do this. Well, that's when the devil wanted to put Jesus down into the ground and bury him really deep into the ground. So, what's a test? When it comes from God, we've got to realize that God always wants to raise us up to the next level. Things that we don't understand, things that we thought are beyond our capability to do, God wants us to get to that stage. And that's what happens here. God tests Abraham. God tests Abraham. And the first thing that God does when he is testing you to take you to the next stage is to call your name. He says, Abraham. You know, it's not a generic thing. There is a calling that is for, there for each individual in life. And it's so important for us to be like Abraham and to listen to that voice. I've been reading, rereading this, this work of, 
of a woman by the name of Bilkis Sheikh. Bilkis Sheikh is from Pakistan. And it's so fascinating because she had no acquaintance. The only Christians that she saw were her driver and her gardener. And because these were the, the Christians in Pakistan and in India generally come from low caste and outcast societies. These are people who, who, are, uh, who are gardeners and drivers and people like that. Bilkis Sheikh comes from a very regal, high class family in Pakistan. Uh, her husband was the prime minister of a particular state in Pakistan. But she hears the voice of Jesus calling to her. It's so fascinating to read that book. But I think that's what we need in our lives. If we want to know what is my purpose in life, we need to pray about God. What's your calling for me? And sometimes it can be through hearing God's voice. And a lot of that is happening in, in, among refugees in France and, and, and in Germany. And, and it's happening in Iran and Iraq and, and India and, and those sorts of places. But many times it is by the reading of God's word. And that's why when the commitment was made by the five people that came up here, then Shah asked them, are you going to derive your meaningfulness in life by reflecting on God's word? Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so committed Christians are called Christians. They hear God's voice for their lives. And then stick with that calling, Abraham, Abraham. Listen to his response here. It's very profound. It's, it's three times that Abraham uses, in Hebrew, the word is hineni. That's the, the phrase of ever-readiness. People who make a difference in life are people who are always ready. I don't understand this, but I'm here. Moses also said Hineni in Exodus chapter 3. In Isaiah chapter 6, there is a prophet called Isaiah. When he hears God's voice, he says Hineni. Here I am. Here I am. I'm ready. I don't understand things, but I'm willing to take that next step. All because I know I've heard your voice. And that is the voice that Kathy and Peter heard. When Peter just left his work and they said, we're all going to France now. Well, you know, it takes risks. It does take risks. And, and I think immigrants make those kinds of risks. Those of you whose parents came here from Korea or China or wherever, uh, Russia, you take risks. You don't know. You don't speak English, you know, and these people are eating stuff that you don't understand and I, I didn't know, you know, where do you, which, which hand takes the fork and which hand takes the knife and all those kinds of things. You, you have to take risks. And so he does. He does take risks. But he's always ready. Here I am. And you notice at specific junctures in this narrative, Abraham has to say, here I am. So the first time Abraham says, here I am, is when God calls him. Then, of course, he takes his son, 
We read all that, right? He takes his son and, his, and other people around him, and that's a very crucial thing. We will talk about that as well. And his son, how old do you think he is? You know, they, the, the rabbis are of the opinion that Isaac was not 8 years old or 10 years old or 12 years old, whatever you know, our modern movies call us to believe or want us to believe. He was 33 years old. He wasn't a little kiddo that Abraham just picked up and said, I'm going to kill you today. Do you know that? He was 33 years old. And he is carrying this load on his shoulders. And Isaac and Abraham are having a conversation. And Isaac says, Father, Abba, Abba. And Abraham knows precisely what Isaac is going to ask him. Abba. Is the wood I'm carrying? There's the lamb. There's the wood. There is, there's the fire and all that. But where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And do you know what Abraham say? He says, here I am. He says, here I am. And then he says, in English it's translated as God will provide a lamb. Horrible translation, because it's English language, right? English is a horrible language. Well, let it get stuck in your mind. English is a horrible language. The, the Hebrew word there is God will see for himself. God always sees. That is his faith. That God is the one who sees. He will secondarily provide because he primarily sees. God will see for himself. Then, of course, you know, they have this conversation. This is a father and son conversation that's going on together. In our society, unfortunately, we don't do too much of that. I don't know how many fathers and sons really spend a lot of very, very quality time together. It's rather unfortunate. But they're going through this conversation. Here's this 120 year old, no, no, 133 years old. That's quite a lot. Richard, would you be 133 having this conversation? I don't know if we would do the 133 is 33 years old is having this conversation. And in the English translation, this it says they went together. That again is horrible. In Hebrew, the word is they went echad. They went as one, just like God is one. Abraham and his son were one. And he goes there because Abraham is going with Isaac. They're both willing for the sacrificial thing to happen together. And as Abraham is ready, he hears this voice, and the angel of the Lord says, again, do you see that? Angel of the Lord. Is this the angel of the Lord? Is this God himself? Because those words are used interchangeably. Man of God, God himself. Three men, God himself. Angel of the Lord, God himself. God reveals himself like that. Says to him, stop. Abraham, stop. And if I were Abraham, I would say no. The first time I heard God's voice was the right voice. I'm going to go with this. 
The third I, here I am, is to be willing to change course because you hear God's voice again. And he said, I'm going to listen to your voice, O Lord. And he had said to his servants before that, the lad and I, we will go we will worship God. We will come back. I don't know how, but this God who sees is the one that will know how to make this happen. And I'm going to just go and express my love to him. Because he said, take your son, the one and only the one whom you love. And this God will make it happen. I don't know how. And he does. Quite an example, actually, of the verse that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So here is an example of Abraham and Isaac going as one. You get to the New Testament, you have God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We don't know how, but just like in the Old Testament, there is this God the Son who is on the cross and he dies for the sins, all the awful, awful sufferings of the world and the sins of the world. And he said, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is commitment on this Commitment Sunday.